Welcome to the Indie Brand Builder Podcast, where successful entrepreneurs and industry experts get real about what it takes to build a seven-figure product brand with your host, Jeremy Robinson. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Indie Brand Builder, where creative entrepreneurs and product designers are building successful, purpose-driven businesses so that they can accomplish their financial dreams while making a difference in the world. Be sure to check out IndieBrandBuilder.com and subscribe for updates. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about how to get the most out of Amazon, joined today by Joseph Hansen. Over the last seven years, Joseph has built and sold four e-commerce-based companies, and he's currently managing partner to three businesses that help sellers succeed on Amazon. And Buybox Experts, which is a consulting firm, uh, The Prosper Show, which we'll talk a little bit more about, and Marketplace University. Uh, so very glad to have uh, Joseph Hansom joining us today. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Jeremy. Glad to be with you today. Cool. So, I mean, before we get into to the specifics of Amazon and and, uh, and your expertise there, tell us, how did you get to know so much about Amazon? Tell us a little bit about your business history. Yeah, so back in 2006, 2007, I had just graduated from college, and I was pre-med in college. And when I, after I graduated, a friend of mine gave me a book called The E-Myth, Revisited by Michael Gerber. Yeah. And I remember... When I read that book, I had uh, what I like to call my entrepreneurial seizure. I, I realized that I was not cut out to be a physician for 30 years. And looking at what the schooling I had done and the schooling that was in front of me, I decided to go into business instead. And so I spent the next few years actually traveling around the country, learning from some of the best experts in e-commerce. You see, at the time, I went into business with my wife. We started our very first business. It was a company called Flirty Aprons. Cool. And my wife had some, yeah, it's kind of this, you know, cute niche, uh, sexy style of apron that you could, a woman could put on herself to flatter her figure, make her feel attractive rather than just this utilitarian type of, you know, garment that you put on that covers you like a box. Cool. And, and so we, we took that idea and I had had no prior business experience. And so my idea was let's, Let's go around the country. Let's learn from some of the best experts in SEO, PPC, affiliate marketing, conversion optimization, social media. A lot of those things I like to think of as the wild, wild west back then compared to what they are now. I mean, things you could do in SEO, in PPC, in social media, the type of return you could get at that time is just so much higher than it is now because the market is so much more saturated and competitive. Right. Yeah, no, well, that's a great point. I'm glad to hear you bring that up because I agree and we've seen that ourselves. Yeah, so um, I remember at the end of my first year, we had, we had a number of retail shops open. We had been selling wholesale to, uh, that year, a couple hundred boutiques across the nation. And, and we had also started our website and we paid $800 to get this website designed and created at that time. Yeah. And it was like a Zen cart based website. And, and I had done some tweaking in SEO and some affiliate campaigns and some other things on it initially. And I had done some product review giveaways, which I mean, today that's commonplace, but back then I, you know, I just had this idea. I'm sure other people did too, but to me it seemed very novel of, Hey, there's these bloggers out there. Why don't I send some of these bloggers, one of our aprons and have them review it. And then we'll provide them with a coupon code that they can tell their readers about. And that led to some good success. So I'm sitting there at the end of the year and I look at my profit and loss statement 
for December. And it's like a hundred thousand dollars for our various kiosks or wholesale retail channel, um, with uh, in revenue. And then we're it's about fifteen thousand dollars in net income, which is hey, that's pretty good. We're finally making some money here. Yeah. And then on our website, I look at it, and it's you know twenty two thousand dollars or twenty three thousand dollars in total sales and fifteen thousand dollars in net profit. Right. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I think there's something to this. I knew this all along, but wow. Yeah. When you look uh, at mar- it that the way, margin, it the margins are online for sure. Absolutely. When you, when you own the channel, it's, it's, it's awesome. So, I mean, I, I took that kind of uh, epiphany and devoted all of our resources to the web. And, and I mean, we ended up spending $25,000 on a new website the next time we built one. And we employed, sophisticated, you know, conversion optimization, A-B testing, and and built out much bigger social programs and other things like that. And what went from, you know, a million-dollar business became a two- to three-million-dollar business, and our margins were ten times what they used to be. So it became a big success for us. Right, right. Well, during that time, I also sold to Amazon, actually. I sold first party, and I sold on the channel as a third-party seller. And I gained a lot of experience in the school of hard knocks when it comes to selling on Amazon mm-hmm. and seeing people counterfeit the product, seeing um, what we could do with listings to improve it. Again, this is still kind of those ripe stages of selling on the marketplace or even selling directly to Amazon back in 2008, 2009 when we were doing this with, with flirty aprons. Yeah. And so we actually sold that business uh, end of 2011. And I started up some more businesses um, while that one was going and some afterwards. And most of those were fashion-based businesses. One of them was just kind of an experiment for me because I had had so much success selling product on Amazon with what to me seemed so little effort. I decided to take $100,000 and invest it in fashion accessories, watches, sunglasses, jewelry, other things like that, and sell on eBay um, partly, but mostly on Amazon. And that $100,000 turned into $2.5 million in revenue by the end of the year. Wow. And at the end of that year, I realized, okay, I really have something here as far as the processes I've been able to build to be able to take something, a product, and put it on Amazon and utilize the traffic that's already coming to the channel in order to make sales. Whereas with the brands I had built, I could do the same thing, you know, driving traffic to a website and it was higher margin, but it took a lot more time and effort and consistent effort to keep that traffic coming. Right. So with Amazon, it was it was really playing off of that um, affiliate and brand equity that Amazon has itself and customers coming to the site. Cool. Now, um, things obviously have changed in the last five years. Uh, you know, so I want to absolutely. Just, I want to qualify. I mean, obviously, there's there's some principles here is it do you think it's still possible to make a a good living as a reseller on amazon and if so you know um what what are what are some of the the factors that allow people to do that still yeah well i i think you really have to place people in almost two different groups today that sell on amazon you have your resellers and then you have your your brands and those brands you know you're going to divide up in the private label sellers as we call them which is really just a small brand it's a startup and then you have your your bigger brands, um, people that are mid market all the way up to your you know your 
enterprise level companies that are right. distributing product on Amazon. Right. So with resellers, they face very different critical issues on Amazon. Right. And and what I mean by critical issues, I'm very specific. When I, I use that term, um, Larry Bossidy, the CEO of Honeywell International, um, he wrote the book Execution. He said, every organization has critical issues. And he went on to say, if those critical issues are unresolved or if they're left unresolved, they can badly hurt that organization or prevent it from capitalizing on new opportunity, new opportunities or prevent it from reaching its objectives. And so the important thing for sellers on Amazon is to realize that they're a business. This isn't a hobby or it shouldn't be taken as a hobby if they're going to be serious about it. And they need to be business minded and understand what are their critical issues I think most of the resellers or, or small brands on Amazon get products on there because they see it as an opportunity to leverage Amazon, but no, they're not thinking about it fundamentally like a business as far as what are the critical issues that I'm facing? How do I define those so I can start to create any type of strategic objective to overcome those issues so I can capture opportunity, so I can keep my business from collapsing? The critical issues that they actually face have to do with pricing on the channel and competition, right. right? And availability of their supply and products and brands getting gated on Amazon so they can't resell those products. Yeah. Those are the critical issues that they face. Yeah. Um, the critical issues that, that brands face are very different. You know, we're coming more from the brand space. And I, I guess, you know, sure. I tend to see the reseller market in general as sort of delivering diminishing returns over time, I mean, on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. You have you have people like yourself who were were really pioneers who were able to, you know, capture that first mover ex advantage before, you know, before the tools became more democratized and probably like to your credit, you know, were able to sell that business at a good time. And now, you know, for people like us, I mean, I think we're really trying to build value in a brand, but also leveraging a platform like Amazon. You can't ignore um, Amazon, obviously. So um, maybe with that it, context and what are what are some of the sure. biggest challenges that uh, you see brands facing on Amazon yes yes there's increased competition but if it really is a branded product it's your own product then the critical issues that you face as a brand are are, are building brand equity on Amazon and what is what is that brand equity on Amazon look like compared to you know distribution on TV, on the internet, and other places, all brand equity on Amazon comes through search, right? Right, comes through reviews, um, and comes through long-term history and traction on the channel, so that your your sales rank stays at a consistent level that's high over time. Yeah. Right, that's what we really mean. I think when we're talking about brand equity on Amazon, so that that's one of the critical issues. One of the other critical issues is managing counterfeits and managing knockoffs and other other competition on your direct products that are supposed to be proprietary. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and one last one for you, um, uh, having transparency and the same type of transparency that resellers who have to be very efficient with their business have, that's another critical issue that brands need to adopt because and what I mean by transparency is being able to understand how profitable their SKUs are on a SKU level basis, how, how, um, what their seller performance metrics look like at any given time, how well each product is performing. Those things that 
resellers invest in heavily with a, with custom software, but also with third-party solutions out there in order to understand the logistics of their business to make sure it functions really efficiently because they operate on such low margins. Right. If brands adopt those, that becomes a competitive advantage for them. I guess a lot of brands like ourselves, we're selling primarily through our own website, or that's what gets the most focus, obviously, because we own that channel. Right. And then I mm-hmm. guess for us, it was kind of, it was just an awakening at one point that, hey, you know, we're, we're selling to people, we're wholesaling to people who are selling our products on Amazon. Uh, maybe we should just be selling our, our products on Amazon. Obviously, there's enough margin there that they're making some money off of us. So, sure. Um, and yet, you know, on, on another level, there was just, it, it, there was a whole other level of management that would be required. And for us, I think there's just been this constant trying to weigh the the pros and cons of, uh, you know, actively managing Amazon versus passively managing sure. Amazon, which is kind of the route we've gone. We actually, we're at the stage where, you know, we have enough volume on that we are wholesaling directly to Amazon. But talk a little bit yep. more about that and those equations and, you know, what perhaps the situations in which a brand should look at really investing time and, and resources. Obviously, yeah. in the end of the day, it's it's people um, uh, versus, you know, really maybe sticking with a, a model like we've essentially come to at this point. Sure. By the way, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that what we're doing is the right thing. It's what we've sort of defaulted to, given all the decisions we have to make in a small business. Right. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you're you're living the real business life, right? Unlike someone that's working at at P and G, that you know, I mean, yeah, they have their their corporate position that is real, but you're the small business owner and you're faced with your own payroll. You're faced with the loans tied to the business that are actually tied to your home, right? right. And if your product fails, you you lose your life savings or you go into debt or you go bankrupt. Um, that's a much more catastrophic chain of events that can happen from your business failing than if, you know, you sell $100,000 less in product and you're working for a big corporate brand. Well, yeah, okay, that might lead to a demotion or, or you might have to change positions or your boss might just get mad at you. The small business owner has very high stakes on a personal level when it comes to how well his product performs. So he has to think of where he's going to invest his time, where he's going to get the best use of his time. And if you're making more money currently on your website, it's going to be very difficult for you to justify putting that time into Amazon. I get that. Totally get that. So when it comes to Amazon, I, I talk to brands every day. Um, I have a consulting business where we manage about four to five dozen large brands. And then I have a number of prospective clients that approach us. And and with the Prosper Show, I talk to many brands and resellers alike. As far as brands go, um, they, a lot of them don't understand that no matter what, if their product is good, if it's a desirable product, it's going to be sold on Amazon at some point. Yeah. Many of them have this mentality that they can just put, you know, bury their head in the sand and, and the product's not going to be on there. Well, they might not see the product being sold on Amazon if they do that, but it will be sold on the channel. And so the question is, if it's going to be sold on the channel, do you want to be able to capitalize on that and and reap the profits and the position and visibility that Amazon gives that product? And do you want to control the content of your product that's displayed to customers? And if you do, then it's worth investing at least some time in Amazon to make sure that you have either an exclusive third-party distributor that sells for you, you sell yourself 3P, you sell directly to Amazon, you know, those different options to make sure that your brand is represented appropriately on the channel. 
Right. I think the most recent survey said that 55% of consumers start their product search on Amazon now. Crazy. I mean, that's wow. that's the majority yeah. of consumers starting a, a product-based search on Amazon. So as well, a brand owner- that's more than Google, basically. I mean, it's really like the world's biggest product search engine. Right. Well, I mean, Google still dominates in normal search, Right. Um, but when it comes to product-based search, Google has—I mean, it, it, Google isn't 45 there. Google is down in the teens or something like that. Right, it's it's right. incredibly low compared to Amazon when it comes to product-based search. So if someone's looking for a product to to search and buy, they're going to Amazon. Almost yeah. all of them are. Yeah. And so you should have your product represented appropriate in the channel, and it should be sold through the channel. What do you see as sort of the buying process for someone who goes on Amazon? Like, would you assume that they're going to go on Amazon, see the product there, potentially go to the the brand's website if it's a unique product, or is it, you know, is it is it, are they more likely to finish a sale on Amazon without looking elsewhere? Yeah, so I mean, that's a great question. Consumers love to shop on Amazon if they are a Prime member, right? Because they know they're going to get their product. Within two days, and if they're a Prime member, they've almost certainly already purchased on Amazon. They know the guarantees that are associated with that purchase versus buying from a brand's website and not knowing if they'll really be able to return that product right. if so they aren't that, happy. That trust factor is, is huge yeah, for small brands. It is huge. Yeah. Um, there are a number of consumers that do still enjoy, based upon the research, purchasing from niche sites, from websites. Uh, and then you have a majority of consumers that make up the middle that really care about price. Right. Um, it's not about the guarantee of the purchase. It's not about it being niche and cool. It's just about price. And so if the price on Amazon is less than what's on your site, then they're probably going to buy from that. And a lot of them factor in shipping. And so if they see that it's prime and it's the same prices on your site and you're charging 3 or $4 or $5 extra for shipping, they're probably going to buy it on Amazon. Right. Let's talk about MAP because that's been another B&R bonnet. And uh, just to be clear, we're talking about the minimum advertised price. So when we wholesale to third parties who may have websites, that's fine. We say, okay, it's you can sell it whatever you like in your store, but we have a minimum advertised price, which would be the online price. And we don't want, we don't undercut our retailers and they don't undercut us. But on Amazon, plays it a little differently. Well, can you tell us and explain to us how Amazon pricing actually works? Right. Well, it sounds like the question you're asking is how Amazon retail prices products, right? If you were to sell product directly to Amazon, how Correct. they would price it on their site. Correct. Well, okay. that, that's the challenge is we're seeing that ideally we're we're at least competing on a on price with Amazon because we should be able to set the price of our own products. Um, but we're you know we're seeing situations where that's not actually the case. And Amazon is one of the right. few retailers that can't really negotiate with. <laughs> so Amazon prices reactively. Right. At least that's what they claim. Uh, and that's what we see in the majority of cases is that if someone on Amazon and on major sites off of Amazon, so the big marketplace channels and, and big retail sites, if they price lower than Amazon's offering, Amazon tends to price down to either match that, go below, or go above if it's on Amazon, because Amazon tends to win the buy box when they're priced still above their competitors. Right. Not always, but usually. And and they know what price to really be at, of course, because they're 
retail algorithm basically works on a perfect basis. Um, so they, they will price reactively. Uh, you can't really set a map with Amazon. Right. We have worked with clients where we've seen them negotiate a, a stated map, and then we see that violated right. on a day-to-day basis when, when other channels aren't clean. Now, one thing to consider, though, is that when we're talking about map and issues, people like to beat up Amazon a lot. And justifiably so, Amazon really doesn't stick to the verbal promises that they tend to make regarding map. Uh, But Amazon is displaying, Amazon's kind of like the symptom of an underlying sickness. Right. If you have map issues on Amazon, it tends to be because you have distribution problems. Right. Right. To gray market sources or your the distribution problems lie with your actual retail partners or distributors who price below map. Because Amazon very rarely goes below map unless others do. We've seen them do it, yeah. um, but it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I guess what we see, we don't know who these some of these retailers are or how they've acquired our product, but they're selling them on Amazon. They may be another name, another name of a of someone that we're wholesaling to. Right. Is there any way to combat that that you know of or there are a lot of different ways to institute kind of channel control processes to try to clean up the channel. One of the main things you can do from an internal perspective is in your distribution agreements make sure that the parties who actually purchase product from you agree to provide you with statements of everyone they sell product to. Right. So that way you know who all those people are, right? Now, you do have to be careful in the agreements that you form, and I'm not going to give legal advice. I'd recommend you get your own lawyer and review those agreements. But as, as general you know, principles to apply, when you're creating map policies and reseller agreements, the map policy is just that. It's a policy. It's yeah. not an agreement, right? It's a stated policy. When you create a map agreement, you tend to get into antitrust issues. Normally, small brands aren't going to get an antitrust lawsuit. Uh, but we do know of a, a mid-market brand that just lost in an antitrust lawsuit for having a map agreement. So it's important to have a map policy, right, that you state that's unilateral that says – you violate map, we're going to cut you off. The other person isn't agreeing to abide by map. Right. Now, a reseller agreement can say, I'm going to purchase this product to sell it in my store, and I agree to not sell it on Amazon. I agree to not sell it on eBay. Reseller agreements talk about where and how you can sell the product, or yeah, where you can sell the product rather than how much you can sell it for. Got it. No, great advice. So, uh, Joseph, we talked a lot about Amazon, you know, for, for companies that may already be dealing with the channel on some level. What about if mm-hmm. someone were just getting started and, and really hadn't sure. thought seriously about Amazon yet or knows that they've got to start thinking about it? What advice would you give uh, maybe a younger brand that's just getting started? And let's assume that they, they have their own branded products and they're thinking about right. how best to, to approach the, the issue of Amazon. I I would recommend that they they open up an Amazon account and that they get brand registry for their products if their products are already listed on Amazon. That's the first step, get brand registry. Um, And you would need to provide your your brand name, sometimes trademark information, uh, and you'll usually have to provide photos of your products with your branding on them and branding on packaging. Once you get brand registry, you can lock down content on your products. Now, Brent, it's tricky as... Amazon makes it seem like brand registry is a pretty easy process. Mm. 
and and it is easy to go through kind of the beginning part of it, but the difficult part is that they just aren't clear on the subsequent steps. After you initially obtain brand registry approval, that doesn't mean your products are brand registered yet. It just means they're capable of getting brand registered. So you have to take your files that you submit to Amazon to create your products. And you have, if they've already been created, you have to resubmit those files with whatever unique identifier you put in your brand registry application. This may be kind of Greek to people if you haven't gone through the process. Once you go through it, you'll, you'll understand the terms I'm using. But the, that unique identifier is going to be a UPC or an EAN, some, you know, G, some global catalog identifier. And then Amazon will assign you a 16-character digit for each of your products. It's called a GSID. And that that, once that's assigned, means you actually have brand registry locked down on each of those products and the content you submit in feeds or directly within your editing tool and manage inventory in Seller Central will create content for the product and lock it down. Now, one interesting thing to keep in mind is that if you do have distribution problems, you may still see content get changed on your listings because Vendor Express has become a pretty big loophole for Amazon. Now, I'm opening up a little bit of a can of worms talking about this, but it's just something I want to bring up because it's becoming more and more of a problem we're seeing with brands is that they have a third-party account, they've registered, they've locked down all their information, and then some gray marketer comes, gets their product, and offers it through Vendor Express. Well, Amazon's contribution score to listings is higher than a brand-registered agent. So that gray marketer now can change titles, can change bullets, can change the description. As long as it's approved through Vendor Express, they just they now have captured, you know, the ability to control that brand's content. Yeah, and we've so, seen that. We've seen that, and and it's confusing actually when you don't understand what's going on. And and unfortunately, also, uh, Amazon's processes and standards have evolved even over the last few years since we've been uh, dealing with them. So, so this is a great right. segue into um, the Prosper Show, which um, uh, which is another conference that you founded that helps people manage and understand and make the most of Amazon and really gets to the, really gets into the weeds and the minutia of you know all the details that there are to manage when it comes to Amazon sure. as a platform for brands. Um, tell us a little bit about the Prosper Show, where that came from, and and how people can learn right. more about it. Well, my business partner James Thompson and I founded the Prosper Show together. James actually worked at Amazon for five plus years. He was the very first FBA category manager there in charge of sports and outdoors eventually became the head of seller services there uh, the platform responsible for recruiting at least a hundred thousand new sellers to amazon each year so james has he actually worked with over ten thousand sellers personally while he was at amazon because of that he's seen a, a lot of the different pitfalls that they've run into the different tactics and tricks they use to succeed and he and I were sitting down at a different conference one day, uh, two years ago, and we saw a lot of self-promotion, right? Speakers getting up and talking about their own brand, their own product, and delivering maybe a few nuggets, um, usually just kind of the rote talking points to the audience. And we just felt, we went to this conference just for networking purposes, but still seeing that is kind of, they were disillusioned. Like, oh, isn't there just something better out there? Mm. And on a whim, we just said, okay, you know, we can do a show. We could do something better than this. And we just started researching it pretty soon. We realized, wow, this is really complex and hard to put together. <laughs> um, 
And it took us it took us a full year um, to get it prepped and aligned and to get the word out. But we were able to get over 90 speakers to our first show that we had in Salt Lake this last year. And we had almost 800 attendees at the show. Awesome. And we actually had to cut off ticket sales two weeks ahead of time. We ran out of food. We, we had to schedule food ahead of time. And we only had enough for that many people. So we actually you know, sold out. Otherwise, we could have had maybe 100, 200 more people there. And what we brought together at the show, what we felt was lacking in, in the industry was an educationally based show where people have to upfront state their conflicts of interest. Mm -hmm. If you work for a repricer, then you have to state, yeah, I work for this company. Oh yeah. I also, I tend, I have an investment in this, uh, you know, review service over here and I, and I work with this. So that way people understand the advice you're giving on stage if there's any potential bias that you may be saying, right? It's okay for someone to work for Feedvisor or App Eagle or or Scubana or Retail Ops. Well, any you know, all these different solution providers out there, that's totally fine. We're fine with, with you know, people like that speaking at the show. We just want them to state that yeah. conflict at well, the show so people know. Interesting insight. Yeah, because I mean, let's face it, you know, you know, there's always an element of self-promotion at these shows. Um, but it's a really great value proposition to actually have a coming together of people who are who are transparent about their their own interests. And so what was really nice was we were able to bring together the heads or or the founding partners or CEOs of all of the major repricers and channel management softwares, feedback systems, uh, cross-border trade, all the different types of software and service providers that anyone really needs to help augment their business or to really just support it on a basic level as an Amazon seller or brand on the channel, we were able to bring to the show. And then we created an agenda based around panels where you had you know, six of the, the top repricers all up there saying not only why their solution, they think their solution is best, but also just talking about repricing in general. Yeah. That way, Amazon, Amazon sellers can truly become educated in all the different areas that they need to be to help their business succeed. Great. And so if, uh, if anyone listening is interested in learning more about the Prosper Show, what, what should they do, Joseph? They can go to prospershow.com. We have plenty of content on the site, um, and we have our agenda for 2017. Our next show will be in Las Vegas in March, and we are expecting about twice as many people to come, and we have even more exhibitors and solution providers there, and we have an incredible lineup. We're going to go into some more advanced topics at this show. We expect people to take away something that they can implement immediately to help their business. That's the goal of the Prosper Show. Awesome. Great. So if you are on Amazon and you really want to up your game, you want to get to take it to the next level, Prosper Show is an amazing resource for anyone who really just wants to wrap their head around the potential of Amazon's platform, whether it's a small part of your business now and you want to grow it or it's already a big part of your business and you just want to uh, you know, amp it up. Um, check out the Prosper Show. Thanks so much, Joseph, for joining us today. All right. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Jeremy. For more insights on building a seven-figure product brand, including free downloadable training material, visit IndieBrandBuilder.com.